0: You know, everybody talks about profit. Everybody talks about, well, I'm doing really well. You may not be doing well because if you're running around in a Lambo, but have the IRS chasing you in a police car, then you're not making any money whatsoever. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and
1: Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I'm your host, Matt Rouse, and today my guest is Drew Stevens. How are you, Drew?
0: I am fine. How are you?
1: I am fantastic. Sun's shining. Can't complain. Drew is a restructuring and turnaround specialist for small and medium business owners. He's an author of 14 books and helps to scale revenue and competitive proof companies. Drew, I wanted to have you on because... You had a really interesting angle that, that I really wanted to talk about, which was business killers. And what are the 12 obstacles for successful and thriving business is the topic today. But first, why don't we talk a little bit more about business killers?
0: Sure. By and large, you know, if I look at it, Matt, from a 40,000 view level, if you look at small and medium-sized businesses, there are... a Bunch of challenges that are constantly in the way of the business owner or the senior leader. Some of those are qualitative. Some of those are quantitative. By and large, without going through, because it is a fairly extensive list in terms of 12 and 8, just in order to keep it brief for the viewers, is simply this. We need to have business owners that are not tactical, that are strategic, that understand how to build a framework for business, Business owners, as well as leaders, need to understand that the only way to build a business, very similar to what you're doing here in terms of content marketing, must be out there creating marketing and sales every single day. They must be doing the right things in order to articulate their brand. And most business owners, as a matter of fact, 87%, and this now goes goes to the quantitative side, have no idea what the number is that they need to open the tumbler at the beginning of the day. I find that absolutely intriguing that how do you get to business, put the key in the door and not know what number you need to sustain the business and pay off all of the expenses, the vendors, salaries, and so on. But on the other side of the coin, from a quantitative perspective, how are you then going to exit the business? You know, there are late stage baby boomers, that are thinking about handing business over to their children, or perhaps they're just thinking about selling the business. You can't be doing this and using it as a retirement mm-hmm. package. And unfortunately, many people get it wrong. And that's where the stress, that's where the anxiety, and that's where business failure all comes into existence.
1: Right. And there's definitely a interesting thing about business owners not having any kind of preparation done for a business transition. we've talked about that on the show a bit. But one thing that I think a lot of business owners don't ever think about is how will my business continue operating if something were to happen to me and I couldn't work on my business for, you know, maybe a a short period of time, right? Or God forbid, an indefinite period of time, right? Because you don't want all that value that you've created to be lost, That's definitely one of the business killers, I think. (laughs) That might be more of a literal killer.
0: It's interesting you bring that up, Matt, because we were talking just meeting each other for the broadcast today about COVID, about the pandemic. And, you know, it's very easy to say that, you know, "Eh, it's never going to happen to me. And that's a business killer because it is proven mathematically right now that one in four people know someone that has had COVID or has perished from COVID in some way, shape, or form. And what the numbers don't show you right now, with the 600,000 U.S. citizens that have died, the millions around the world that have died, no one has broken that marketing segment down to truly understand out of that, those demographics, how many of them were business owners, how many of them were senior leaders of business. And to walk around and constantly say, eh, it's not going to happen to me, You want to know something? It's unfortunate, but this is life. We're all going to have challenges. We're all going to have obstacles. And believe me, for anybody that's viewing and listening to this, I'm not wishing panic to anybody, nor am I suggesting that anything negative come to you. But the diabetes, the cancers, the broken bones, the flus, the list goes on. It's going to happen. And the moment that people think about of having this narcissistic attitude of ah, it's not going to happen to me, Matt, don't worry about it. You know what? My, I'm Spartacus. I'm going to be great. It's the, you know what you the best way to run a business is with prudent risk. And the best way to operate the business is mitigating risk in any way, shape or form in order to make those prudent decisions.
1: Interesting, because there's uh this meme and I'm kind of dating myself from this one. But it's got a picture of Tanya Harding ice skating up behind Nancy Kerrigan. And on Nancy Kerrigan it says unprepared business owners. And on Tanya Harding it says third wave of COVID. <laughs> and what happens is and this has happened. Tell me if you've seen this. Okay. Cause I've been talking about this for a year and a half is when they first had to shut down i'm like here's all the things that business owners can do to try to mitigate these problems like other ways to deliver goods and services you know communicating in different ways with your customers and all these kind of things and then one of those of course was preparation in case there's a second wave right and then there was a second wave and nobody was prepared again And I was like, okay, don't fall for it again, because there's going to be a third wave. And in some places now they're talking about a fourth wave of COVID. What's going to happen is it's just like dropping a rock into a pond. And there's going to be waves of different variants of COVID for years. Right. And what people don't understand is sometimes when you get the flu, it's still the Spanish flu, which was 100 years ago. Right. So this is going to go on for a really long time. And you want to be prepared in case there's little, you know, shutdowns or problems with shipping or, you know, all of those kind of things, supply chain. But I guess a good question for you would be, what is the level of preparation that should be done versus maybe spending too much time preparing and not enough time making money while the, while the sun shines, you know, making hay while the sun shines?
0: It's a great question. And I just did a webinar On this, uh, basically called the Essentials of Business Continuity Planning. And really what this boils down to are four things. Four very simplistic things. Number one, you have to create a plan. Now, you're going to look at me and say, you know, that's a trite statement. Where do you start? What do you work on? What do you need to do? And for most business owners, they don't know where to start. And what I say to them is, look, I look at business from three things. People, processes, and products. So the very first thing that you want to look at is if products and services are the mainstay of the business, what do you need to ensure so that business continues? So if it's a services business, CPA, law firm, consulting like myself, is there someone available to step in and take command of any of the customers that you're going to have should something arise? Number two, look, we're doing this through virtual medium right now. And where I'm going with that is we then need to look at the IT infrastructure. What software, what cloud-based applications are you running? What internet connections do you have? And based upon the importance of that business, how quickly are you able to get operational should something occur? I used to live um, many years ago. I'm in St. Louis, Missouri now, but many years ago I was on the East Coast and I used to work at the World Trade Center and so when you think about the 9-11 bombings when you think about storms called nor'easters back then and you lose internet you lose power where is then the next best place to go now in today's world due to wi-fi i could go to a coffee shop i can go to a local delicatessen but the fact is is that you need even as a business owner you need to think what are those steps that you need to take so it is one another way. a third is then looking at your products, if not your services. Many years ago, many uh, there were talk about business continuity. We had E. coli poisoning uh, for firms such as Chipotle and many other organizations had lettuce issues. So if you're a restaurateur, not necessarily a Chipotle, and you're hit with an E. coli bug, whether it's beef, whether, ch- whether it's chicken or vegetables, what then becomes your next supply source? So that you can stay operational and still service your clients. And then last but not least is then you. What happens if you get a flu bug? What happens if, heaven forbid, cancer, broken bones, or other illness it doesn't necessarily have to be grave? There is insurance available. Should you get ill, where your employees are still paid and the utilities are still paid. You also want to think about what about your key people? What about the people that are in sales and marketing and customer service that are supporting you? What are you putting together for those individuals? So those are sort of the sort of business continuity features you want to be thinking about.
1: Yeah, I had the sort of fortune to get a contract when I was working with Intel as a contractor. So technically, I worked for an outside agency, but... I worked in their disaster readiness division. And so I saw the planning that had gone into it. And especially the planning for like the large manufacturing centers and stuff was just an unbelievable amount of time and energy and money is spent on ensuring that those facilities and the people connected to Intel and, 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 you know, I'm I'm sure other large companies do the same thing, but yeah, they have a plan for everything from what if somebody falls down or faints in the office, what's the next step kind of thing all the way up to, you know, there's a terrorist attack and an explosion at a factory, you know, what's the steps that happen after this thing. Right. And they they put in an amazing amount, but I think as a small business owner or, you know, like a freelancer or something, it still pays to have some of that stuff thought through, um, And especially if you have other people involved in your business and you want to document it, just like you would document any other process, right?
0: Exactly. Uh, You know, it's funny, with respect to what you just mentioned, you talked about workplace issues. You know, we're in a very nasty environment right now, Matt. And we even have to think about, I hate to say it, but workplace shootings. You know, we have had those in our purview, and that still requires business continuity. Heaven forbid something like that ever happens to your business. What risks are you putting into place to ensure the fact that the business continues to run? Mm-hmm. Bringing people back to work, mind you, that may say, I don't want to deal with this anymore. So, those are the things that we have to think about. And there are many organizations, not necessarily that you and I are worrying about today, not with our organizations, but some of the larger ones. There are some folks that are going to sit there and say, Matt, you can't push me back to work. I'm not interested in the vaccine. I'm not mm-hmm. interested in, in wearing a mask. I'm not interested in whatever the excuses. And from that perspective, we need to think about, well, whether we have employees or not, whether the employees are located in Portland or the Poconos, the fact is we still have to continue the business no matter what. And that's essential in order to make us operational each and every day.
1: Now, there's a lot of other things besides violent disasters and sickness that can kill a business, right? Oh, gosh, yeah. What are some of the kind of non-disaster related things?
0: You know, there's there are several things that are non-disastrous. Um, there could be issues with logistics. You know, we, we have situations right now, if you were following the events in the Suez Canal, that ship, the Evergreen, finally got loosened and literally just showed up in the Netherlands and what was it, three, four months worth of supply chain is sitting there. Fruits, vegetables, uh, there is boutiques. You know, Let's face it, if you and I owned a small boutique, we didn't have our spring line. We didn't have our fall line because that's what they were stocking up for. Now they're thinking about keeping that into 2022. Those are the things that hurt a business. I am rehabbing a home right now. As an example, I'm a consumer just like I'm a business advocate. And Ikea has all of their supply on that chip. And they're three, four, five months behind. Again, it's business continuity. Those are the things where there is not a grave situation, an illness, but things that stop the supply chain. The second thing, I named it before, but I didn't go into detail on this, and that is just cyber issues. We have ransomware. We have spyware. There's also the dark net right now. All of those systems and services that you're utilizing to support your business, whether it is financial information, whether it is marketing collateral, whether it is patents and trade secrets, all of that needs to be, you know, at some point locked down in some way, shape or form. I'm delivering this conversation with you today. And just yesterday, if I got the number correct. T-Mobile apparently was hacked and 100 million people were infiltrated with that. So you want those are the things where you want to make sure that your business is operational. But at the same time, there's an undertone here. And the undertone is because I'm a sales and marketing guy at HeartMap, your brand is impacted. And so when we're talking about business continuity, we want to ensure that the brand always stays solid. And when you look at organizations such as Microsoft, Apple, Google, Facebook, Delta, United, something has happened with each of those organizations over the years, over the decades. That has impacted that business continuity and potentially could have impacted the brand in a huge way. Whether it was human rights issues, planes falling out of the sky, so on and so forth. You know, take into consideration all of a crisis. Boeing with the Supermax 737 Th- Supermax, there, you know, there were people that were not were not flying on a Boeing plane anymore. They said absolutely not. And from a business continuity perspective, all Boeing wants to do is get planes in the air because they want to ship people back and forth. But if your brand is tarnished, how are you then going to do that?
1: Yeah, there's all kinds of brand issues out there. Kind of one of my fav- favorite stories about, well, I mean, it's, I guess it's still technically a disaster, is that they sold slow cookers and some soap opera, uh, I can't remember which one it was. The main character died because he left the slow cooker, or she left the slow cooker, plugged in, and it burned her house down. And then suddenly no one wanted to buy a slow cooker anymore. (laughs) I can see that. So what happened was they actually, they were completely safe. Like, you know, you could keep plugged in for a month and they're still not going to burn your house down. But nobody knew that because of the TV show. So what they did is they put a shutoff timer on them and said, you should buy ours because they have a shutoff timer on them. (laughs) And so they were able to turn it around and make it into a positive. Right. And. Some of that you can't really plan for, right? You don't know what's going to be on a TV show or, or that kind of thing. But you do need to have communication policies and stuff in place. And you need to know which people in your organization need to act when it comes time, right? I mean, as disaster readiness goes, you know, that's the unpredictable nature of disasters is is the real problem, what you're planning for, right? Right.
0: That's that you just don't know. And that, you know, that's why I'm so big on succession and exit planning and just the whole notion of business continuity, because so many people are unknowledgeable in that area.
1: I think um, another kind of interesting example that kind of goes along with the, the supply chain thing that you were talking about was restaurants and other types of businesses not being able to have people come in to, you know, eat at the restaurant or come in to do retail. So then they need packaging, right? Because they got to not only do they have to ship all their retail, but they need, you know, packaging to put food in and all that kind of thing. So as soon as they lock down, I mean, if you were a business or a restaurant, you needed to be buying as much of that stuff as you think you're going to need for months to come, Right. And what happened is three weeks in, nobody could order any of it anymore. And when somebody needed it, they were waiting 90 days, 120 days to get, you know, takeout boxes.
0: Well, remember the, the toilet paper fiasco we had to undertake. And, you know, I just saw, I think it was yesterday. I'm trying to look at the news here uh, just to keep up to date. I believe it's Tropical Storm Fred. if I have the name right, is going to impact Florida. Now, look, we're not in any hurricane or tropical storm zone, neither of the two of us, but we have been under inclement weather from time to time. And what you were just talking about reminds me of that because they said people in Florida are batting it down the hatches and things are flying off of the shelf. Well, if that is, that's the same thing as the toilet paper fiasco, because then at that particular point in time, people are then saying, oh, my heavens. We're buying things. Things are coming off of the shelf. How are you going to restock that supply chain so quickly? And sometimes you can't do it that way. We're still in a pandemic. So there's no way to get those things stocked that quickly anymore.
1: I think something happened and, you know, there was, there was lots and lots of people, especially in the United States and Canada, that were saying to businesses, you need to pay that little bit extra so that stuff can still be manufactured here. Because as soon as something goes wrong with shipping, you're not gonna be able to get any stuff. And it happened. And everybody's like, Oh my god, why didn't anybody tell us that we won't be able to get stuff if the shipping, you know, is a problem? And of course it's a problem, but you know, there's lots of small manufacturers where maybe you're gonna pay more, but you're not gonna pay more than you're gonna pay when the demand is so high.
0: Right. Exactly correct.
1: And having those suppliers, you know, you can even go through a system like Fair F-A-I-R-E, I believe is the one where you can find local suppliers for small business. I think I've heard of something like that. Yes. Yeah. And then there's like, you know, community stores and stuff you can get. And even if you live in a pretty big city, if there's a manufacturer, you know, and they are five hours drive away, that's still going to be easier to get than trying to buy something where everything's out and they got to wait 60 days for it to come from China, right? Correct, right. And, you know, just talking about tropical storms, we actually get them here because uh, they come up the coast. Uh, yeah, so they come up. I'm on the east coast. And, uh, yeah, I mean, one day, um, I, I hadn't lived here yet, but last year the power and the internet was out for eight days. Oh, uh, wow. In the area. Yeah, and that's that's pretty serious. but you know you can you can drive into the city and you know we we used to keep when i was in portland we had a co-working space so you know if your power goes out at your house or any of your employees can't get connectivity for whatever reason or they need somewhere to go or just whatever right we just had a membership at a co-working space that all the employees could use and if something went wrong they could just go there so that's a good option especially for small businesses it's inexpensive So more of the disasters aside, are there any other kind of gotcha things that businesses kind of have a blind spot for that you see very often?
0: Well, a couple of things. You know, if we look at the whole notion of business continuity, exit and succession planning, the other big thing to talk about really is the fact of taxes. You know, at some particular point in time, actually, there's two things in here. One is taxes because heaven forbid the owner does happen to perish. There is no succession plan. There is no estate planning. Then whoever is left is left to deal with all of the taxes. And, you know, if you die intestate, test state, heavens knows, at least here within the United States, what's going to happen to whatever nest egg you thought you had and we're going to be able to provide to somebody else. So that's number one. Number two, since we're talking about taxes and the financial aspect, I cannot tell you, Matt, how many times I have conversations with an entrepreneur, uh, an, uh, an individual that's running a business, and I can tell you it could be $15, $20, 30000000 million business. And I specifically ask, what are, the, what are the expenses that you need to keep this business operational? And they'll look at me and say, heck, if I know. How do you not know? And then, you know, I'll never forget this. It was about three or four years ago. I went and did a, a stint as a fractional COO. And I'm sitting across from the CEO, who is a 30-year-old individual, took over the the company from his dad, thought he was just, you know, Donald Trump at that particular point. And he was telling me that they sell a web-enabled video service. They were doing uh, instructional videos for financial services. And the the service was $79.95. But when they did a webinar, the the cost of the webinar was $59.95. And if people were not buying this particular video of Quikadoff, they made it $54.95. And if it really wasn't selling, and they went to the bargain basement special of $49.95. So one day, man, I'm sitting in the middle of a meeting and I said, so, uh, Jacob, let me ask you a question. Do you know what cost of goods are? He said, have no clue. I said, you and 93% of most other business owners. What do you believe is the cost that you ever have for the producing these videos? What is it in terms of marketing? What is it in terms of sales? Well, Drew, we spend about $6 million a month on paid media. That's not the question I asked you. The question is, what is the development of this and how do you know that you're making a profit on it? And here was his answer. We don't. And so if you're running a business like that, you know, everybody talks about profit. Everybody talks about, well, I'm doing really well. You may not be doing well, because if you're running around in a Lambo, but have the IRS chasing you in a police car, then you're not making any money whatsoever.
1: That's a fantastic analogy, by the way. It's something you can just visualize. (laughs) (laughs)
0: i see it all the time you know and it's no different than some of the kids that are on the internet right now and truly they are kids i see you know 12 year old kids with this background of a private jet how i made a million dollars you know come and join my network and i'm thinking buddy you know you have no idea what cost of goods is you have no idea what break-even analysis is and so, please don't tell people to join your club unless you're teaching people fiscally how to operate their business. It's that simple.
1: So we have a marketing agency, and generally, our position when we're you know talking with a client, you know, everybody asks what our niche are, or our niche is, and that kind of stuff. Our niche is people who are making money, but they get stuck, and they need to kind of take it up a notch, right? And they don't know what to do. That's kind of our fit, right? And a lot of times, the biggest problem is they don't know their cost of acquisition. They don't know the lifetime value of a client, right? They know how much they'll make off of a sale, but they don't know how much they'll make from the repeat business. And another thing that that seems to come up really often is, and it's not necessarily cost of goods, but it's sort of this, they know the basic cost of goods without adding in all of the other overhead the company has. So they'll say, okay, my guy costs $16 an hour. We charge 50. So every hour he's working, I'm making 34 bucks. And that's not really the cost of goods, right? Exactly. I think those things come up quite often. I also think that there is, I don't know if you've seen like the profit first model. I've had some people tell me they like it. Some people tell me they don't, but that's like, you know, if you, you work out all your numbers and you say, okay, overall my business after taxes and everything has a ten percent profit, just set aside ten percent of all the money that comes in and then don't spend it.
0: Right. You would wish <laughs> you it know? works that way, but it doesn't. <laughs>
1: but yeah, you get a lot of a lot of businesses, even pretty large businesses, you know, with revenue in the millions, that their budgeting is based on how much money do I have in the bank right now? Right which is not necessarily a very good way to do it.
0: That's exactly it. It that, that's not really sa- that's not savings.
1: <laughs> right. It's not savings. Yeah, it's not it's not retained earnings uh, if you just spend it whenever you want.
0: Exactly. Look at the balance sheet.
1: That's right. And you know what? Financial literacy in business is also a real problem. And I don't think anybody should be like embarrassed or something if they don't know how to read a balance sheet, what it should tell you. That should be a signal that Maybe I need to get with my bookkeeper or my CPA and ask them what every one of these numbers means, right?
0: Well, and that is correct. And what, you know, to that point, Matt, one of the things that people don't recognize is that reaching out for help is a sign of strength, not weakness. And so entrepreneurs have two issues. Number one, it's this vainness, this vanity of if I reach out and I ask for help, I'm screwing up. And my my attitude to that is, no, you're not, because it feeds into number two. Failure is education. You know, in the army, failure is not an option. Yes, because you're advancing on the the enemy. You're needing to take over something. It has to be precision work. Surgery, medical, is also failure is not an option. But when you're in business, screw up as much as you want. And you should, because that's how you're
1: going to learn to do it better. Yeah. And the financial literacy piece that we were talking about, it's a very simple thing that you can fix, right? Is, you know, talk to your bookkeeper, your CPA, or whatever, get them on the Zoom call or whatever, you know, something similar to what we're doing right now. Just record it, right? (laughs) Go through it. Then three months from now, when you don't know what it is, go back and look at the recording. Exactly. So. Drew, if somebody wants some help with their business, uh, maybe they need you know, some help with learning how to calculate their cost of goods and all of these things, how to operate their business and how to make processes, avoid disasters. How do they reach out to you to find out more about these things?
0: First of all, email is a good way to do that. And it's really easy. Drew at Drew-Stevens with a V as in victory.com. I also have another site, which is for my financial advisory business. So I have two websites. One is drew-drewstevens.com, and the other one, and that's consulting and advisory. And the other one for wealth management, financial advisory, uh, retirement, estate planning is drew at drew-stevens.net. So two different ways to uh, get a hold
1: of me. Perfect. Drew, thank you so much for coming to talk today. I think we can save some people from some disasters.
0: My goodness, I hope so. That is that. That is actually my why, and, I, and I'll leave you with this, Matt. Why I got into this business, why I got into not really consulting but the financial aspects of it, I was given bad advice. I was given horrific advice, as a matter of fact, and to the tune of about $45,000 in debt. And so my heart now goes out to others that get bad advice, A, or B, don't know who to seek out good advice. So I'm not in this to make money. I'm just in this to heal hearts, heal checkbooks, because I don't want anyone to ever have to have gone through what I did back uh, several years ago.
1: Perfect, and I appreciate you coming on. Thanks again, Drew.
0: My pleasure, thank you for having me. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.